0: The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at org. Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. Aren't y'all like the biggest Cowboy fans? Yeah. Okay. Well, last week I honestly forgot that, and then I was bending over to pick up my thing right when I said, who dat? And they're like, really? And I'm like, sorry, I didn't mean to attack anyone. But I want you to focus. We've got Houdat Nation on our mind right now, but we're going to transition our brains. Thank you, Jonathan, and and the worship team for leading us to worship the Lord. But we transition to our our text. We're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 20. As you know, we've been working through Genesis, and today it's amazingly relevant with uh, what we see going on uh, this week in the news. Uh, Nairobi, Kenya. Nairobi is the... One of the fastest growing cities in the world. It's growing at multiple times faster than Houston, Texas, and Houston is exploding. So Nairobi, Kenya is home to over to uh, this portion that, that Shannon and Carrie Lewis, our, our, our family that we partnered with, In South Sudan to do mission work in South Sudan, they're they're transitioning to Nairobi, Kenya. And they have a particular group of people in mind that they feel God has called them to. And it's the 200,000 Somalis that live in Nairobi, Kenya. And so they feel that that's who God's called them to. They've asked us to continue partnering with them as they transition to the work of working with the Somalis in Nairobi. And so they've asked us, would you consider doing that? And so we've agreed as a church to, to continue to explore that and walk with them down that journey. But this week in the news, there was an explosion in a mall in Nairobi. And it was, uh, there was a group, a terrorist group, that is made up of Somali radicals living in Nairobi. And they're claiming that they did this work, which killed uh, at least five people. So when I tell you, to put all this together, that we feel like God has called us to partner with the Lewises to take the gospel to the, the Somalis living in Nairobi, and a small group of them who are radical just blew up a mall in Nairobi, what is your heart towards those Somalis. I mean, that's exactly the issue of the text. What is your heart towards those Somalis? If, if you're like me, when I'm not where I should be, my tendency at is to say there is no fear of God among them, and all they want to do is kill us. I have no interest in going to, to see them, going to share the gospel with them. I write them off with the mindset of, there is no fear of God among those people, and all they want to do is kill me. Now, you don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to, but how many of you can relate with me? Yeah. You didn't have to raise your hand, but you're all like, yep, I'm right there with you. Well, this text hits us right there in our heart. In Genesis 20, we see a interaction between Abraham and Abimelech, and my prayer is that the Lord would... Would work on our hearts this morning that he would give us a heart to embrace our calling to spread the gospel of grace from neighbors to nations, and that we would not write off any people group because we 've predetermined what they're like and and that we've prejudged that, that there is no fear of God among them. so let me ask the lord to to do that in our hearts as we work through this text, Lord. Uh, in this text, it, it's very crystal clear. Perhaps one of the most relevant, clearest pictures of something that we can relate to that I've seen in a long time just just struck me very powerfully this week as I looked at it that uh, we cannot write off a people group the way uh, Abraham seems to have been doing in this text. Lord, would you, would you work on our hearts? It takes the work of the Spirit of God to, to change hearts. And you use your word powerfully in hearts. And so, Lord, take the word that we're looking at and, and work in our hearts. Soften our hearts toward the Somalis in Nairobi. Soften our hearts that we might not write them off, but that we would intercede before them on their behalf and partner with the Lewises for the work that you've called them there and, and many other people that we that we may be tempted to write off, Lord. We pray this in the the holy name of Jesus, amen. All right, so we're going to work through chapter 20. We're going to to look at three things. We're going to consider the people of this narrative. We're going to consider the prejudice that we see in this narrative. And finally, we're going to consider the prayer that is in this narrative. First of all, the people. Look at verse 1, chapter 20, verse 1. It says, From there Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. So the author Mentions these specific geographic references that our brain kind of goes i don't, i don 't read that i don 't even know half the time i can 't pronounce, it, and I sure don 't know where it is. Well, with good resources, you can find out this means that they, that Abraham and Sarah are in the land of the philistines they 're not in the promised land they are still outside the promised land they 're in the land of the Philistines, and as the Genesis narrative has been, the story of Genesis has been, has been developing. That means we are in the nations. You have the promised land, and then you have the nations. And we'll untangle that a little more. But here we see he's in the Philistine, the land of the Philistines, as he's journeying. And then it says something very interesting. Out of nowhere, verse 2 says, And Abraham said Sarah of Sarah his wife, She's my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerard, sent and took Sarah. Now, does this sound familiar? Anybody, anybody like, okay, I've seen this before. I've heard this before. If you've been with us in our study of Genesis, this is the exact same thing that happened in Egypt. Abraham and Sarah left the promised land, went into Egypt because of the famine, and the king says, hey, uh, let me have your wife, or who is this woman, this beautiful woman? And Abraham says, yeah, you can take her. She's my sister. And she says, yeah, he's my brother. And so the king takes Sarah into the, fam- into the household, God strikes them with a plague, and the king says, whoop, something wrong here, get this woman out of here, y'all leave, and he blesses them with all kinds of blessings, material possessions, cattle, they go back to the promised land, blessed all the more for their lying and scheming, right, makes a whole lot of sense, right, okay, so we come, and it's like, okay, well, they left, uh, basically left the Sodom and Gomorrah area, and now they're heading to Gerar, and what do we see, well, here they go again, she's my sister, Worked pretty good last time, let's do it again. And Abimelech takes takes, uh, Sarah into his household. And so what we see is the pattern has developed. Old habits are hard to break. In fact, in the narrative, we are told out of Abraham's own mouth, well, this is what we just decided, this is what we're going to do. As we travel around these foreign lands, we're just going to do this thing where she says, I'm her brother, and I say, she's my sister. Well, that's exactly what, we're, what they're doing. But as we look at the people, we want to say, how is the narrative presenting them? Are they presenting these two? Who are the people involved, and how are they presented in a positive light or not so much a positive light? So in this group, we're going we're gonna to group it into two types of people. You've got two groups of people. You've got Abimelech and the Philistines, and they are representative of what the Bible calls the nations. Everyone outside the people of God are called the nations. Now, where did these nations come from? Well, if you've been reading the Genesis story, remember after the flood, you were supposed to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth with God's glorious people, a people who are in real covenant relationship with God, trusting and obeying God, revealing how glorious he is, and all the earth will be filled with God's glory. Well, they didn't do it. After the flood, they spread. Then you see God saying, wait, wait, wait. The Tower of Babel is a picture of the nations rising up and making a name for themselves instead of making a name for God. And so God says, I'm going to frustrate your plans. I'm going to fill the earth with, I'm going to scatter you across the earth. But it's not yet what I want because they're not out there making a name for for, for God. They're making a name for themselves. And so the nations are pictured as the people all over the earth who are not giving God the glory. They're giving themselves glory. They're all about themselves and building a name for themselves. And from those people, what did we see happen in Genesis 12, 13, 14, 15? God called one out of the nations, Abram, and his wife Sarai, and he said, come to this land which I'm going to give you. I'm going to make you a nation of people, which means a bunch of people living in a specific territory of land, living by a specific set of laws. God says, from the nations, I'm going to bring Abraham, I'm going to bless him, and I'm going to do that so that he can be a blessing back to all those nations. And so God's plan is to... Fix the problem. His mission is to restore paradise. His mission is to scatter his glory all across the lands. And now how is he going to do that? Through his people who he pulls out of the nations, saves them, and sends them back to the nations. That's one people group here. Represented by Abimelech, the people of the Philistine area. They are the nations who need God's glory. Now, the other people in the story are Abraham and Sarah and his people. They are known as the covenant people of God. God has brought them to himself, entered into covenant with him, blessed them in order that they may bring God's blessings to all the nations. And so what we want to do is read this text and say, Okay, how are these two people being presented in what light are they presented in this text so look at verse 3 and help me look at this together but God came to Abimelech the nations in a dream by night and said to him behold you are a dead man now that's that's not something I want to ever hear from God you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken for she is a man's wife now Abimelech had not approached her. Now, the text is very clear to say that because in a few verses or a few chapters, we're going to see the, the son Isaac, the promised son of Abraham and Sarah, which has been impossible in man's strength, is finally going to come. Well, the, the text is making sure we know that that child is Abraham and Sarah, is not Abimelech's child. So it says that, that Abimelech had not approached Sarah. So he said, Abimelech said, Lord, Will you kill an innocent people? Notice he says, My people. Will you kill an innocent people? We just answered that question in Sodom, right? No, God will not kill an innocent people. And then he says, Did, did he, Abraham, not say to me that Sarah is my sister? And she herself said, Abraham's my brother. In the integrity of my heart and in the innocence of my hands, I have done this. I did not know. They lied to me. Verse 6, Then God said to Abimelech, In the dream, Yes, I know that you've done this in the integrity of your heart, and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you, and you shall live but if you do not return her know that you shall surely die you and all who are yours So Abimelech, what did he do? How did he respond? He rose early in the morning, did exactly what the Lord said. He called all his servants. He told them all these things. The men were very afraid. And Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, Why have you done this to us? How have I sinned against you that you have brought this on me and on this kingdom, a great sin? You have done to me these things you ought not to do. So how is Abimelech presented in this text? How are the nations represented in this text? Would you say poorly or positively? positively? Positively. Abimelech and the nations are uh, presented somewhat in a positive light. God is gracious in this. God is... Merciful that he would come in a dream. God is presented as one who is working on Abimelech, working among the nations, coming to them in a dream. It says twice he came to him in a dream and again in the dream he said. So God has come to them in a dream and he is working and, to, to, and Abimelech is responding positively to what God says. He's presented as one ignorant of the will of God, ignorant of, of this whole idea of the scheme ignorant of his sin against against Abraham and so we see here a picture of God graciously going before Abraham and working in and among the nations before Abraham gets there and has his opportunity to, to do what God has him there for. And so God is gracious, the nations are ignorant and but the nations are but God is saying turn from your sin. This path that you are on leads you to death. Are you seeing what I'm seeing that this is all in the text. That this is what God is doing in the nations among the Philistines. This is actually pretty common among the Muslim people. Missionaries on the field often report how incredibly hard it is to reach devout Muslims. I mean, think about it. If they turn from their faith and to Christ, they lose everything. Not not a small deal. Some of them may lose their life, and all of them just about would lose their family, their family business, their inheritance, they are treated as if you do not exist. You were never born if they turn and trust Christ. So it is incredibly challenging work to take the gospel to devout Muslims. And so what we see is God seems to have a pattern of working a little bit beyond what we think of as normative. What's normative is God works through his word to bring salvation. But what we see is God in his grace oftentimes goes to the Muslim people and works in their hearts and prepares them by working in dreams and visions. And oftentimes the missionaries will report how they've heard about this, that they get an encounter with someone, there seems to be some fruit, and a lot of times what they find out is God had already been giving them a dream or a vision preparing them for this moment. Now one, just for example, one professor went to Marseille, France, sharing the gospel with people who were traveling through a port area, As they came through the port area to go to other countries, they had to wait a long time. And this professor was there taking advantage of the opportunity as they waited for their ship to come to tell them about Jesus. Well, this professor felt led to go down below a certain bridge and share there with the people that were there. Well, as he shared with this one individual about Jesus, that individual was more open than normal and was what seemed to be receptive to this gospel message. Well, the professor finds out that this man shares that he had been having dreams beforehand that he should go to that exact bridge and find a man who would tell him about, quote, the true savior of the world. And so as this professor shares with him under that bridge, this man was, was all ears because God had gone to him in a dream To prepare him for this divine encounter with his professor. God, do you believe that God is working among the Somalis in Nairobi? God is gracious. He goes before us. This is not just a human endeavor. We don't go marching up into some foreign land with our arrogance and our pride thinking, let me show you what I'm gonna do. That we, our only hope is that God is going before us. And he is. This is his mission. This is what he's all about. We've been reading Genesis and it is just week after week. God's doing one thing. He's on a mission of redeeming and restoring his people and his planet through those whom he saves, he sends them back out. That's why you are a Christian. That's why when you were saved and put your faith in Christ, he doesn't just teleport you to heaven. That's a nicer way of saying doesn't just kill you right there. And take you to heaven. It's because he says, you are my plan. God is moving among the nations. The question is, do we have a heart for those nations? So how's God presenting Abraham here? He calls him in verse 7. He says, now then return Abraham's wife. For Abraham is a prophet. Now Abraham is called a prophet that he will pray for you and you shall live. So the nations shall live as the prophet speaks to them the word of God as the spokesperson of God. That's what a prophet is, the mouthpiece of God. And he intercedes or prays for the nations, they will live. So all that we've been seeing this taking Abraham out Making him the covenant people of God, sending him back in, now has a title. Abraham is a prophet. That's what a prophet does. A prophet is God's mouthpiece. A prophet intercedes between God and man with the gospel, the good news that God offers salvation through Abraham's seed, i.e. Jesus. And he intercedes with prayer for the nations. That's who we are as Christ followers. We can't be like Abraham, so focused on our own self-preservation in this scene that we've got to be understanding that our role, the reason that we have been saved, is to be sent. We are called Christ's ambassadors. It's our very identity as followers of Christ. We are the representatives of Jesus Christ. We are the spokespeople. We are the mouthpiece of God regarding the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are to be intercessors on behalf of the nations. We are called to pray for the healing of the nations. That's who we are. We're not just individual Christians that I got my ticket to get out of jail and, and get out of hell card, and now I just need to be worried about my self-preservation and my own private little, little life and empire that I'm building. I've got to understand that when I was saved, it was for a purpose. When you were saved, it was for a cause. You were brought into Christ's family to be part of the kingdom covenant people of God and your purpose is as the body of Christ to pray for the healing of the nations and to go and bring that which heals the nations and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ so how does Abraham do as a prophet how is he presented as we look at the people in this narrative I would say Abraham's not looking too good Abimelech seems to be doing what the Lord says, but Abram and Sarah are just presented scheming, and my favorite line is they're just stumbling and bumbling through. Verse 9, Abimelech called Abram and said to him, What have you done to us? How have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not be done. Is Abimelech correct? Yeah. So here you have the, the nations who need the gospel telling the prophet of God, the representative of God, why are you sinning against me? Not a good thing you want to hear when you're on the mission field. Not a good thing you want to hear from your neighbors when you're trying to reach them for Christ or you're not trying to reach from Christ but the way you relate to them. You don't want to be Forget who you are and what your purpose is. That God has called you to live above reproach so that you have the ability to speak the gospel to them. Your life is a testimony, but it's all setting the way for you to speak and open your mouth and speak Jesus. And Abraham's response, honestly, he comes across petty, sad, making excuses, He says, why have you done this to me? And then in verse 12, Abraham says, well, I mean, she is my half-sister. Like, why would you say she's my sister? "Eh, She's my half-sister? The daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother. And then she became my wife. That's just wrong. I don't understand all that. Verse 13. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, that's just something we came up with. Sarah and I said that whatever we go out into these nations you just need to tell her about you're my brother so it's not like I really lied to you that's just this thing we do that's just this thing we do because we're trying to make sure no one gets hurt and I mean kind of she I mean I kind of told you the truth she is my half sister I mean this is just not a model of how to represent God among the people so here we have God's hero that we think of abraham as the hero right we think he's the hero of the story he's the hero of our faith but why god's the hero of the story and god the hero of the story is using abraham and sarah though they are just like us they're stumbling and bumbling and we tend to think that those missionaries the people who are going to reach the the somali's in Nairobi are not like us. They're better than us. They're just different. They're just missionary type and they're just super spiritual and you're just like, that's not me, that's someone else. No, I'm telling you, it's you and it's me. I mean, we're just ordinary people like Abram and Sarah. We mess up all the time. we stumble stumbling and bumbling through life. And we keep this old habits are hard to break. That's just what we do. That's just my personality. That's just my disposition. And so that's not me. I'm not a missionary. Yes, you are. God's called you to this church. And if God's called you to this church, God's called this church to partner with the Lewises to reach the Reese's, Somalis in Nairobi. So that means you are a missionary to Nairobi. And God's the hero of that story too. But this causes us to do a hard check. Abraham is presented as the reluctant prophet. Why have you done this? Well, I mean, I I don't know. It's just what we do. In verse 10, we see the prejudice that's in his heart. Here's what's at the root problem. Verse 10, Abimelech said to Abraham, Why did you... what, what, What exactly did you see that you did this thing? I mean this is just an incredible two verses here. It's like we've been looking at these passages that are just nations. The scope has been nations, and now we got two men. (laughs) One man saying to the other, what did you see that led you to do this to me? And Abraham said, I I did it because I thought there was no fear of God at all in this place, And, and I thought they'll kill me because of my wife. Why, why won't you go to Nairobi? Because I thought there was no fear of God in that place and they're just trying to kill me. That's prejudice. What is prejudice? Prejudice, all oh, that word is thrown around. It's not a political. This is simple. Prejudice is preconceived judgment about a people. That's all it is. It's predisposed, preconceived. Why, why would Abraham... Prejudge Abimelech and the Philistines. Why would Abraham say, There's no fear of God among those people? They just want to kill me. Why? Why would Abraham do that? Think about it. Okay, where'd that come from? Because everyone up to this point in the nations was trying to kill him. What? What I'm telling you is, he has reasons based on life experiences that is tempting him to assume that what happened from those people is going to happen with those people. That's prejudice. Prejudice comes from a very, you feel justified. Every one of them always treats me this way. And so they're all that way. He just came out of Sodom. They were wicked. There was no fear of God there and they did need to be judged. And so that's the way all the nations are. And so right after that, we have this narrative. No, that's not how all the nations are. God is working in among the nations. Do not prejudge anyone or their people group. I did it because I thought there's no fear of God at all in this place. Have you ever met any of them? No. You never met a Mimelech before? We don't see any record of that. What about these Philistines in the land of the Philistines? No. I don't know them in particular, but I know what they're like. And so I just assumed there's no fear of God in this place. And they just want to kill me. They're all terrorists in Somali. They're all terrorists. In Nairobi. And they all just want to kill me. I'm not going there. There's no fear of God there. That's prejudice. If ever there's a text that is hitting us. Bullseye. In the heart. This week. Is it. What did you think? When you said. I'm not going to go there. And I'm not going to pray for them. What are you assuming? What are you presuming? What are you prejudging about those people? Because there was a group of radicalized Somalis in Nairobi. They're all terrorists. And I'm done with them. And I'm justified in my behavior. Let me give you let me paint a picture for you. Revelation 7:9 paints a picture for us of of how it all ends. This is a vision of what it's going to be like. Listen to this. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from every nation. Who's, Who's there? A great number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. So that includes Somalians standing before the throne, standing before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. What that tells you is that God plans to save people from every tribe of every nation, and God's doing it through his church, his covenant people, and he's called you to this covenant people, this local gathering of God's covenant people, and we have decided that God has led us through all kinds of his dealings and brought us to the point where we say, we think God has called us to partner with the Lewis's to bring the gospel, to bring his glory to the Somalis in the city of Nairobi, in Kenya, in Africa. The very same people that blew up them mall this week. There are people in that group that God already plans will be your brothers and sisters in Christ. They'll be standing at the throne with you. Guess what? The throne's not going to look just like Southeast Freeport. Around the throne's going to be all kinds of people speaking all languages, all to the glory of God our Savior. And you're going to go, I pray for them. Look, I pray, we pray for them. Those are Somalis. God used us. Or will you say that? That leads us to the prayer. Let's consider the prayer we see in verse 14 through 18. Abimelech took sheep and oxen. I mean, this is just a ridiculous picture of God's extravagant grace to Abraham and to everybody. So Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham. And returned Sarah his wife. This is rewarding bad behavior. <laughs> I mean, you, you just keep scheming and stumbling and blamming, and God just keeps blessing despite you. Here, take all these material possessions. Take them. God has granted Abraham and Sarah a favor among these people. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you to Sarah he clarifies now behold I've given your brother a thousand (laughs) your brother husband whatever he is I've given your brother your half brother husband a thousand pieces of silver and it's a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you and before everyone you're vindicated I didn't touch you Isaac is Abraham and Sarah's son Abimelech did not touch her then Abraham what did Abraham do Abraham prayed to God. And God did what? God healed Abimelech. And God healed Abimelech's wife and all the female slaves so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So in these verses we see God's incredible grace Apparently, when it said, you're a dead man and all your peoples are dead, he's talking about the closing of the womb of the people and the name would stop. And so God graciously, when Abraham prays, intercedes on behalf of the nations, God gives life. But Abraham prayed to God. Think about it for a minute. Abraham all worried about himself, his life, his career, his everything, his wife, his family. He's kind of oblivious. He's not really quite latched on to his calling to the nations and, and how he's supposed to behave. But in the middle of it, finally, God somehow gets him to the point where he's like, okay, God heal these people. And God breaks out and does a crazy awesome work among those people. Think about the privilege. Of participating. Have you ever had the privilege of praying with someone and seeing them come to faith in Christ? And then if it's just crazy awesome seeing their marriage restored and redeemed and healed and and become a glorious work of God. And then to see their kids' lives changed and their grandkids. Have you ever, can you imagine being a part? I just saw your face. I prayed with Shelly Raley in a coffee shop and got to see her come to trust Christ as Savior. That's awesome. No greater joy than to be able to pray with someone to come to faith in Christ. What did I do so brilliant? Nothing. She just called me. I need to talk. We had coffee. And she's like, I want to trust Jesus. I'm like, okay. Let's do it. Have you ever had that privilege? Well, are you praying for anybody? Can you imagine if we, as the covenant people of God, started praying now, God, give the Somalis in Nairobi crazy dreams about yourself. Just move powerfully among them while the Lewises are getting trained in Tanzania in the language. Man, God, when, when they show up to Nairobi, let them just be, what in the world is going on? God has been moving Among them, before he gets there, what if we prayed that and then we get a chance, maybe a handful of us get to go and we get to see, oh my goodness, God is moving, people are getting saved. I don't know if God will do that. It may be a long, hard road, but he just might. He just might give us the blessing of seeing a powerful movement of God if we will pray and we will go. How awesome would that to be a part of that? It would be so incredible. Abraham prayed to God and God healed. And God gave life. We are Christ's ambassadors. We are called to take the glory of God from neighbors and nations. And the key to that is praying that God work before us. Have you written off the Somalis because of what happened this week? Oh, that the Lord would have Somalis saying about us, why, "Why did you do that? What did you see about us that you would sin against us like that? Are you willing to pray for the Lewises to reach the Somali Muslims in Nairobi, Kenya? There are 200,000 Somalis living in Nairobi. The consensus is all but 100 of them are Muslims, and most of them are devout Muslims. Will you resist the the prejudgment, the prejudice against them, and join me in praying that God would give them dreams and visions of himself, that the gospel would bring the glory of God among the Somalis in Nairobi? Father God, Would you do that? Would you call us to pray for the Somalis in Nairobi? God, you're certainly not obligated, but I find encouragement in the text, in your nature, in your character, that you are an extravagantly gracious God for your own namesake. And so, God, if these numbers are right, and we we don't know, you know, but according to our research, there's 200,000 Somalis in Nairobi. And all but a 100 of them are mostly devout Muslims. And somehow, in some crazy plan, you want us to participate in their coming to face. You, you have people among the Somalis that you want, that will be worshipping at your feet. And you've given us this incredible opportunity. Make us a people of prayer. Call some of us out to actually go and support the Lewises. But make all of us a people of prayer. In our community groups. In our personal lives. In all sorts of ways, Lord, help us to pray that you will prepare the hearts of these particular Somalis. Work in them through visions and dreams, whatever you choose, and help us to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to them so that you can save and bring life. It's all for your glory.